you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter uh, 17. We're going to be surveying the entirety of that chapter this morning as you're turning. uh, A little bit of good news. Uh, I did remember to put my microphone on uh, this morning. Uh, the, the bad news is that my watch battery uh, went dead. Uh, don't worry, not, not, my, not my smart watch. Uh, evidently, these smart watches are, are not smart enough to overcome the dummy that owns them. And so uh, no matter how I said it, at, at some point in the course of a sermon, I would hear, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And so uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll wear another watch. And uh, since my timing is always impeccable, uh, you have no concerns. We'll get out right on time. And uh, uh, I don't need uh, a wristwatch to tell me uh, when we're finished uh, in here. But uh, again, as we think about the, uh, the times that we find ourselves in, and I would say among a number of affirmations that I would make, is that God has ordained our lives to be lived out in the current context. I would say that in regards to 2020, very little went the way that I would have liked for it to go. Uh, whether it's the elections, whether it's the, uh, the handling of uh, uh, the, the pandemic, uh, where any number of things. Uh, there were things that I was not a big fan of. And as we prepare ourselves for what is certainly, by any estimation, a changing of of the guard in terms of our national politics, I see a lot of things on the horizon that deeply concern me, that uh, could be extraordinarily troublesome for the church. And as I reflect upon those things and uh, can at times by my very nature get obsessed with those things, I'm compelled to return to the good news. I'm compelled to look at things biblically. I'm compelled to, to know with great certainty that indeed our Lord will do and is doing as he promised, namely, the building of his church. And so, as much as we believe in the effectiveness of prayer, one aspect of the good news is this, is that our Lord and Savior spent his last hours upon the face of this earth, the the hours in which he faced uh, the impending crucifixion through which He would atone for our sins, that He sensed the urgent need that He should pray for His people. And while so many times we pray amiss and that, that, that God chooses to answer our prayers in ways that maybe we would not prefer, we know this, that our Lord and Savior prayed perfectly, and that His prayer has been answered, and that it is being answered. And the object of His prayer was our Almighty Heavenly Father, and the subject of His prayer was our good. And through these times, and all other times, our Lord will be faithful to His glorious bride. Read with me, if you will, this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given Him. And and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before, with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, the, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, and they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for your truth. It is our certainty in a world filled with uncertainty. It is our hope in a world filled with hopelessness. Lord, may we ever increasingly become more entranced by the reality of your glory, your presence within us, your presence among us, uh, your truth that lights our way for your own glory and for our well-being as we live in our fallen in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because I have a bit of a long track record with this particular chapter of the Gospel of John, often returning to it, I'm reminded that uh, uh, one of the first public discourses, if you will, it wasn't a sermon, it was more of a devotional, uh, given, believe it or not, to a, a Methodist men's group of all places for me to show up. But uh, at, at any rate, uh, I had uh, uh, ran across uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God and a, another book not as well known by a, a man named uh, Dan DeHaan. He was a, at one time a chaplain to the Atlanta Falcons, how they continue to need a chaplain. Uh, but Dan DeHaan is with the Lord now. Uh, but anyway, he wrote a book, The God You Can Know. And it really drew my attention to this wonderful passage. A passage in which we are drawn into the very holy of holies. The, 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 the very place of interface, interaction, of, of, of divine communion, divine fellowship 
between the beloved Heavenly Father and the beloved Son. We, we see something of the, the greatness, the depth of, of that relationship and how that relationship is so intrinsically related to us, the people of God. Notice uh, as we begin verse 17, we have chapters 13, 14, 15, and now uh, 16 and 17 from the Gospel of John that are devoted to, just to one discourse that Jesus is uh, sharing his thoughts and opening his heart uh, to the, the realities of, of what he is about to endure and what even these disciples are going to go through in, in the near and in the far future. He says a great deal to us about that which will be accomplished upon his departure, namely the sending of the Holy Spirit which will permeate and, and define uh, the people of God in a unique way that will set them apart from anything that God has done previously. And as he closes this time of, of great revelation to these very perplexed and even uh, despairing disciples. He goes to the Heavenly Father in prayer, and first and foremost, it is a prayer. But it's prayed aloud for the benefit of those for whom he's praying. That that he wanted them to understand something of this relationship that they had seen unfolding in their midst for three years. He wanted them to understand that, that his concern was for them. And that we begin to get even, I think, a, a kind of a foreshadowing as Jesus functioning as our great high priest. That is, upon his uh, uh, ascension into heaven, he has sat down at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to intercede for us. And we get a picture of what that looks like here as he prays for us. Why shall we not fail? And we won't. It's because he has gone before us. And he has prayed for us. There, there may be many things that we think are essential and important and necessary that may collapse all around us over these next few years. I don't know. I'll tell you this. I can tell you this with certainty. The church will not fail. The gospel will not fail. And God will not fail to work everything out according to His set purpose and accomplish His glorious end. And in that, we must learn contentment. We must be satisfied in that, that even though He may slay us, we must rejoice. Let's look first. And, and many times this, this passage is outlined with three points. I've done it a little bit differently. But typically... The first paragraph devoted to Jesus praying for himself. The second paragraph devoted to Jesus praying for those 12 disciples. And the final paragraph devoted to his praying for the church. And that's fine. That's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Again, I've done it uh, a little bit differently uh, simply because I believe as he's pray, praying for those disciples that were gathered in that room with him, he was praying for us uh, as, as well. And so we'll look at that as, as one whole as the nine petitions that he makes uh, on our behalf. And so we see here that as he is ready to conclude, after he had instructed them with this final uh, set of, of, of instructions, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And, and it, it forces me to, uh, to, to think in a, in a couple of ways. Uh, if you'll remember when we looked at John 1 a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned the phrase prostantheon, kind of face-to-face -face is kind of the loose translation. And so once again... The Son of God orients Himself and anticipates the fact that, that as I look into the face of my Heavenly Father, very soon I will return to that place where I have enjoyed uh, the, our mutual sharing of glory for all of eternity. We shall once again be what? Face to face. 
And one day, we too shall be face to face. And so, he began to pray, and as he had alluded to previously, that the time that had been determined from before the world was created was at hand. That, that is, that the moment in time in which the incarnate Son would go to Calvary to die on the cross as an atonement for our sins, it was here. That, that the plan that Father, Son, and Spirit had agreed upon from before the world was created, it is now at that moment. He is aware, and as he would pray, what should I pray? Father, deliver me for this, from this hour? I think not. This is what all of creation was created for. It was for this moment. Wow. Wow. They are at that moment. And so, the time has come, and he prays. Now, for me to pray, Father, glorify me, would be vainglory. But notice, for the Son, Father, glorify me. As you empower and strengthen me to do that which has been ordained for me, I do it not so that I will be glorified, but so that you will be glorified. So that that which could be accomplished in no other fashion, namely the reconciliation of sinful men with a holy God, that which we have agreed upon would be the methodology through which this would be accomplished, may you be glorified in all of this. And as we think about it, please always remember, is salvation for our good? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It is. But ultimately, salvation is for the glory of Almighty God. He does what He does, whatever He does, whenever He does it, for His glory. And so Jesus makes this petition for the Father and the Son in this moment to be mutually glorified, that, that he recognizes that, that the Father has designated and delegated uh, to him a particular type of authority, an authority over all flesh. Presumably, there are two, two realms of authority that Jesus has, that there are those that are outside of his redemptive work, having not been given an eternal eternity past by the Father. They will fall under His authority and power to judge. He will announce that judgment and He will carry out that judgment upon them for His own glory. And then there's a group that He has in mind because the Father has had them in mind. Those that He will give to the Son and the Son will die in their place, atoning for their sin, giving to them eternal life. He has the authority to save those whom the Father has given him. If you remember back in John 6, all the Father gives to me, and there it is again, all the Father gives to me, what's going to happen? They're coming. They're coming. In fact, now, no one's coming unless the Father draws. But they're coming because he's going to draw them. There, there, there's been a people that God has designated, I'll go ahead and throw the term out there, to be my bride. And I've entered the world to seek and to save that designated bride. That's what I'm doing. And the Father's glorified because all of humanity was his, but he chose this select bride for his son, and the son has said, and I'll enter the world, and I'll redeem them at the cost of my very own blood. And Father and Son will be glorified in this activity. And he goes on and, and he says something to us about eternal life. Look at verse 3. That those that you've given authority for me to save through the work on the cross, that they'll have eternal life. And again, we can talk about quality and quantity and so forth. But he, he defines eternal life kind of in a, a unique way. This is what eternal life is. That they know fully, experientially, affectionately, that they know the only true God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
that they know you in your fullness. And again, this is that Greek word, you've heard it mentioned several times, that's, that's even also used as kind of a, a synonym for, for sexual intimacy. It's not just that they know stuff about God. There are people that know a lot of facts about God. There's a great, there is an eternal difference between knowing facts about God and knowing Him intimately as our Heavenly Father, as our Savior, as the indwelling one, the Holy Spirit. They're miles and miles apart. Should the person who has been drawn into this intimate knowledge relationship, this full knowledge relationship, should that person know a lot of facts about God? Yes. They should know true facts, factual facts, biblical facts. They should know about their Savior. They, they should be able to, in, in some reasonable way, well, here's kind of uh, the biblical understanding of the triune God. This is a biblical understanding of the incarnate Son of God. This, this is an understanding of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. This, this is our, our understanding of how they work in accomplishing our salvation. That, that there's some, some facts that I think uh, the person that's in this passionate love relationship, this knowing relationship with God, they should know. And they go together. You can't say, you know, you, again, you, you really can't do this I just, I'm just in this kind of love relationship with God. I don't, I don't want to know anything about Him. I just got a kind of a feeling. Just kind of, you know, He's just out there, and I, I, kind of like, I kind of like the way He makes me feel. That would not even approach a biblical understanding of what eternal life is. And so Jesus can say and He can pray, I have glorified you. How have I glorified you? I've accomplished what we agreed upon me accomplishing. That, that I would submit to this plan among co-glorious equals of the role that I would play in the work of redemption, that I would submit, that I would surrender the, the glory that's rightly mine to enjoy, that I would, I would lay aside that, the, the, the prerogatives of eternal deity, and that I would humble myself, I would take on this form of a, of a servant and, and that I would live in obedience to, to your will all of my days upon earth that I would, I would uh, suffer the afflictions of a fallen uh, world that, that I would then having been the obedient son become the perfect sacrifice and atoning for sin and then I would be raised from the dead but defeating the one who has the power of, of death and then I would ascend to my rightful place at the right hand of the Father, and I would continue to do the ministry of intercession for those that I had atoned for, and I would send the Holy Spirit. All of those things have not actually accomplished as Jesus prayed those things, but they're in the bank. They're in the bank. And He can speak of it, I have glorified you because your work is sure and it is certain. And now I'm asking of you, not out of vainglory, but asking out of that which we have agreed upon and that which is right and that is, which is true, that, that you will glorify me as I return to you with that exalted, glorious status of God that I enjoyed before I took on this incarnate role. Before I became the God-man. And so, return me to that which is rightfully mine. I will have surrendered it. I will have entered this fallen realm. I will gl have glorified you in all that I've said and done while I'm in this realm. And then you will crown me with glory again because it's a work well done. Father, do that which we have planned to do. And so the glory of God and this bride of Christ. I want to continue that thing. The bride that is given by the Father to the, the Son. Look there in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This word is essential to the, the manner or the means or the method that God shall employ that the, the church shall be reconciled to God and joined 
to his husband or to her husband. That is, that Jesus has come and he has revealed the Father. He has come as the one who is is full of, of grace and truth. He came and He dwelled among us and revealed the the glory as the only begotten of the Father. He has spoke uh, the Word. They have received that Word. They have kept it. They They have hung on to every Word that He has shared with them. They didn't understand fully every Word. But they have received that Word. As Jesus said in John 10, My sheep. Hear my voice. Sheep's another word for bride. You don't know that. My bride hears my call. And my call goes forth in my word. And they hear my voice and they unfailingly, every single one of them, without any exceptions, they follow me. And I ain't going to lose any of them. That, that everything about their eternity is signed, sealed, and delivered. They are never in any ultimate danger. That's why, and again, Jeff Dalton and Janet and a few of these will remember this, John 8, 31. You're truly my disciples if what? You get goosebumps when you come to church because they sing so pretty. You get goosebumps because the, the pastor is so eloquent. You're truly my disciples continue in my word. If you have determined that his word is truth, it is that through which I will live with encouragement. It is that which will sustain me as I look upon a world and I think we've lost our minds. I really do. Al Mohler keeps calling it cultural insanity. Cultural suicide. But let me tell you this. My hope is not here, it's here. And that's what this word through which we are saved, and Jesus says it very simply in John 14, 18, if you love me, you'll keep my word. It it will remain preeminent in your presence. It is that which I will use, this instrument that will go forth to call the bride to the groom. So you just stick with it. You love it and cherish it. I made made the comment a couple of ways that I have referred to what I want to accomplish in my service in the church. And I've said I I desire that we be word-centered. Now, that could be misunderstood. That, you know, I'm just all about, you know, making sure you memorize the Bible or you understand the doctrines of the Bible and blah, 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 blah. Well, there is some truth to that. But I want you to know the written word so that you'll know the incarnate resurrected word and I think that's the only thing I've got at my disposal and it's the only thing you've got at your disposal by which you may know the fullness of his grace and why do we kind of hammer away at at what would rightly be called doctrine or, or theology this helps us to formulate what sometimes is a very complicated list of things the Bible says to us about who God is, what He's done, how we're to live. But we can put those things together in ways that are concise and understandable so that these doctrines do what? They point to the reality of the work of Christ, the glory of Christ, and His favor that is upon us as His bride. And So that's why we keep at these things. And so the bride which is primarily just those sitting there under the sound of his voice. But as I said, I think, he's, I think he's inclusive here already. The bride has believed in the Son of God. As so many left him in John 6, Peter expressed a sentiment that I've expressed many times. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go for truth? Where else are you going to go for the forgiveness of your sinful heart? Our sins, though they are many, no truer word was ever spoken. But your mercy is more. Wow. His mercy. And so, we have believed this truth. Where else can we go to live in a hopeless world? Listen, 
Even if you've got a hundred million dollars in your bank accounts. You've been following me in Ecclesiastes? It's all vanity and who knows if you will leave it to a fool. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's all pointless and meaningless apart from Christ. We have, but where else are you going to go? He is the Christ. As Peter also said, the Son of the living God. He is the Savior of the bride. And so, this bride has been given by the Father uh, to the Son for their glory. And for us, just to get ahead of myself just a little bit, for us to know and experience that glory. Life in this world is rather inglorious. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really aggravating. Sometimes it's really discouraging. And it's a good thing to know that the very glorious presence of God dwells among us, dwells within us, is revealed to us so that we may make our way through what is ultimately a hopeless world. And so let's look at the third thing here, the, the intercession of the Son for the bride. Again, nine things that Jesus specifically turns His attention to. The cross is looming before Him. He is about to, to suffer a, 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 a horrible death. He, he is about to experience pain beyond our imaginations. He is about to experience, now get this, he is going to experience the wrath of God that was rightly designated for my sin and your sin. He is going to, he's going to experience my hell and your hell and the hell for all who would ever believe on that cross. He's going to experience the eternal punishment, the eternal torment for our sin designated for us as he hangs on that cross. He knows what he's about to enter into. And he's praying for us. You know, when I'm about to, you know, if I'm going to get my teeth cleaned at the dentist, I'm praying all for Tim. Lord, I, I hate that. You know, I'm, a, I'm all, all about Tim being comfortable. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's praying for us. He's praying for us. And so he begins, verse 9, I am praying for them I'm not praying for the world. Now, it's probably a politically incorrect statement. But again, he has a unique intentionality, a unique affection for this bride that has been given to him by the Father, and his concern at this point is not for the world. And as somebody notes, in some sense, he's praying for the world because it's out of the world that the bride is going to be called for the subsequent 2,000 years. But he is praying specifically for the church. Again, here, most reference to those right there gathered with, them, with him. And I am praying not for the world, but those you've given me, they're yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Here's the thing. It gets back to some of this talk about what's essential. The church is essential because God is glorified in us and through us. That, that, that God doesn't, now don't read that. We're so necessary that God wouldn't be glorified without us. God could be plenty glorified. He doesn't need us. He has chosen for our benefit to enjoy the privileges of His glory. And our existence is glorious. That makes our gathering essential. That makes it a glorious thing for us together. That we have set aside time to come in here and consider the things of God. To quit worrying about what's out there. Remember, to close that curtain. To enter in. For the sake of knowing something that is glorious. We're participating in something that is ultimate and glorious. And so Jesus prays for us. And He prays for our security. That is, that, that we 
would endure. Look there in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are. Man, (laughs) there's a lot there. Jesus, speaking as an accomplished fact, I will not be among them any longer. But they're staying. And those of us that will become a part of that bride through believing the word that they preach, which is us, we're staying too. Now, y'all know I make threats all the time. There's probably many of you I've threatened to kill at various times over the course of my time here. And uh, we were talking a bit about this in, in the deacon's meeting this morning. And I said, if your response to this is, well, I'm just waiting on the rapture, I said, I'll probably shoot you. Okay? That he has left us here purposely. He has ordained this moment purposely. He has ordained that we would glorify him as the world goes mad around us. And so, he prays that we would persevere through our lives in this fallen world that that he kept that small band together. He kept them guarded in the very power of the, the name of, of Almighty God. That, that this plan and that is inclusive of what Judas did in betrayal, it actually fulfilled the plan of God, the, the, the Word of God. But now, my work is complete. I'm leaving. And we're very intentionally. We're not neglectful. Oh, man, I, man, I wish I'd have grabbed those guys. No, we're, we're going to leave them there. And so, my prayer is that, again, you'll keep them from the evil one, that you'll keep them from falling away, that, that they will remain steadfast. And again, when we see these kind of statements, these kind of apostasy warnings, these backsliding warnings, us Baptists need to take those seriously too, Okay? I, I uh, always like to have a little fun. And we were engaged in a, a business transaction recently. As we were signing the papers, uh, the young man that was helping us said that he was a Church of Christ elder. I piped up and said, that's great. I'm glad you're not a Baptist because if you cheat me on this deal, you'll go to hell. Yeah, ba- Baptists will just cheat and lie still thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm securing Jesus. I'm once saved, always saved. I'm glad you're a Church of Christ. Now, that's funny, folks. Come on, now. Now, Ellen wanted to crawl under the desk, but uh, such is life. But again, our role is to persevere, to endure, to, to not fall away, to cling, to embrace the great truth while we're secure while we're being protected by His rod and His staff that comfort us, that we eat at the table He's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And so He prays for security of the church. He prays for the unity of the church. And folks, let me tell you this. That prayer has been answered in the affirmative. Now, again, John Piper did a great service to the church a few years back when he called out the Barna Research Group for their work on divorce in the church. And he said, you don't even understand what a Christian is. And let me tell you this. Among the people assembled at buildings all over the place, yeah, there's a lot of disagreement because you know what? There's a lot of tares among the wheat. Okay? There are a lot of those that are pretending to be believers and they will always sow discord among the people of God. But the people of God have always and will always agree about that which is essential. That which is absolutely true and necessary for salvation. Oh, well, you don't agree on the virgin birth. Well, you're not a part of the bride. Well, you don't agree on, on the substitutionary atonement. You don't agree on the, on the, on the, uh, the, the victorious resurrection of the dead. That, those are just things that, that, that are there to make us feel good. You're not a part of the true church. Those things must be believed. Those things are essential. And in those things we are unified. And we always will be. And we always have been. And so that that prayer is answered. And so we do our best 
to do as Paul commanded, to, to contend as one man. To, 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 to lock arms together and march lockstep together. So Jesus prays for the unity of the church, and I believe that that is being accomplished. And He prays for the joy of the church. Look there in verse 13. I am coming to you, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. The joy of the one described as the man of sorrows. We know joy in the midst of a sorrowing world. How many times have I stood before you and said, I believe that joy is the default setting for the Christian. Even when you grieve great losses, and we will, we have, and we will until Jesus returns. But we can know the joy of the gospel, the power and the truth of the gospel. We can know the joy that Jesus is Lord. We can know the, the, the great truth that all of the suffering of this world will pale in comparison to that which is revealed to us. We can rejoice and have joy that all the afflictions of this life have a great and ultimate purpose for our good and His glory. We can enjoy. He's never going to forsake us. That He will be with us until the end of the age. Jesus has already mentioned to this, this idea to them several times that, that, that I'm telling you all of these things. I'm giving you this so that your joy may be complete. That in this world you don't Live with despair. If you're following along in our devotions on Ecclesiastes, it's very simple. I've said it many, many times. Either live with a joyful hope or live with absolute despairing hopelessness. There's just two ways to live. There's only two ways. And Solomon tried it, and he's, he's, he's given you his insight and recommendation that everything is pointless apart from Christ. And everything has a point with Him. And in that, we may know joy. He prays that for our deliverance from the evil one, that, that all of the world is under the power of the evil one. And He, he really kind of gives us some definitions and, and some boundaries. There in verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of, of the world. I, again, I'm not asking you to take them out. They're, they're not a part of this system any longer. I want you to, to leave them here. I just want you to protect them. That they do not embrace the world's agenda. Now again, what, what we see going on in the culture, at least as near as I can discern and, and understand, is a sweeping, godless agenda. And he's saying, you protect them so that they don't drink the world's Kool-Aid. So that they do not believe the world's lies. I, I mean, I was telling somebody th this week, you can champion sexual perversion all you want to. And ultimately, all you will do is destroy the human race, and then we won't have to deal with it anymore. I mean, do you get it? it, it it's kind of self-contradictory, like everything that stands in opposition to God. And so, don't drink it, because as one notable Alabamian has said, it's rat poison. It's rat. If you believe the world's lies... You will die along with them. Don't get deceived. Don't, and, and, and the way you recognize the lies, you know the truth. And you recognize when whatever political party it is puts forth a, an agenda, a platform that is completely godless, you know it is not to be embraced. That you will stand and live in opposition to that. So, that we be delivered from its power, but unfortunately maybe not from the sphere 
of the evil one. We will live in his realm. He prays for the purity of the church. Again, this has always been one of my favorite passages. Sanctify them in the truth. Well, how are you going to do that? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. God's will for your life is your sanctification. Be holy, for I am holy. That means, and again, it ties into just what he said. Holiness really fundamentally is, is, is the idea of being separate. Be separate. That, that, I don't think that's spatial so much as, as it is uh, spiritual, for lack of a better term. In other words, we're not spatially out of the world. We're spatially in the world, but we're not to embrace its system, its, its, its worldview. And we're going to come back. I, this is going to be kind of where we're going to, what we're going to get into next week. Again, the, the call, the demand, the necessity for holiness and all that it entails for the, the people of God. So Jesus prays for the, the purity of the church, the holiness of the church. He prays, the, he's, again, verse 20, that third paragraph, he begins to turn his attention specifically. But again, I believe everything that's been prayed so far has, has us as, as a reference as well. He says, I don't ask just for them. And, I think, and again, I think, I think he's reaching back to what he's already said. I don't, I, think he's, I don't think it's a clear division here. Not for these, not for just these guys in the room with me. But for those who will believe in me through their word. Because what? My prayer is going to be answered. They're going to endure. They're going to be delivered from the evil one. They're going to be kept in your name. They've heard my word. They believed it. They believed that I have come from you. They've believed all that. And they're going to tell folks about it. And they're going to write, the, write it down. And it's going to be preserved. And there are going to be millions of people throughout the course of human history that are going to come to become a part of this bride of Christ because you have ordained a people for me from before the world was created and you're going to give them to me and they're going to come to me and I'm going to receive them and I'm going to save them and I'm going to raise them up at the last day. And that's really great, folks. That is absolutely outstanding. How do you live in a, a despairing world, a hopeless world, a world that even under the best of circumstances you're going to die? Because... All the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. That's how we, that, that, that we shall descend from heaven as a bride adorned for, for, for the groom, for the husband. We shall see his glory. He will wipe away every tear. The old order of things will pass away. We look forward to that, and we experience a foretaste here and now of glory divine. Jesus talks about salvation as knowing God, but look here at verse 24. Salvation is also the fulfillment that we would see the glory of our Savior. I've mentioned this little ditty time or two. I learned this from a pastor that I didn't like very much, which is, again, a very large group. Most pastors I don't like very much. But it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, and all sorrow He'll erase. So bravely run the race until we see Christ. One day, one day, we will see the beauty of our Savior that we get a glimpse of occasionally, I believe. We, we experience something of His power. But, but one day, we shall be like Him. We shall behold Him. We will be like Him in, in some sense. It doesn't, you're not going to be a little God or a big God or anything kind of God. You're going to be a glorified, resurrected, saved, redeemed bride who sees the glory of her husband and revels, rejoices, is satisfied, doesn't it? You know, satisfied always gives me kind of the, that's just barely enough. We, we will be overwhelmed with the glory of our Savior. That, that, that we will know joy unspeakable. That why does, why, does, why does God give us pleasure in this world? And there are pleasures in this world. It kind of works at a number of levels. It, it, it gives us something of a hunger for real pleasure. And it, and, it, and it suggests the, the, the real pleasure that, 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 that will only be fully experienced 
when we see the face of our Savior. That, 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 that's what pleasure is all about in this life. That, that ultimately no pleasure in this life fully satisfies, but there is a pleasure that will fully satisfy. And we shall see Him in all of His fullness and all of His glory. And then Jesus prays that we would know His love. This love that's in a Trinitarian between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a love that He knew, a love that He spoke about, a love that He experienced, a love that He expressed, a love that He demonstrated on the cross. He's praying what? That these people who come to know God through the Word that these disciples preserve and pass on, that they would know this extraordinarily indefinable, indescribable love. That, that, that they would give ample testimony that they would glorify their Savior as they prove to be the disciples of their husband by loving one another. That they would glorify their Savior by keeping His commandments. Do you, do you see? That, that, that this glory of God has a at least an instrumental relationship to what he's doing in his church, to his purpose for the church. Our future, I can't tell you that the future of this nation is glorious. Hope it is. Can't tell you it is. I'll tell you this. The future of the church is glorious. The future of the church is glorious. That is what we're destined for. Those he predestined, he justified, and he what? He glorified. Those that were made a part of the bride that the Father had chosen for the Son, they're given, and they're called, and they're received, and they will be raised up to see in all of its fullness the glory of their Savior. Enough said. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you for your truth, a truth that is most needed in a season such as this. Would you be glorified in us? Would you be so gracious as to use us to accomplish that which is certain in our world? Again, would you be glorified? And as we know something of that glory, it will be good for our very soul. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.